The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Okay, today we're going to focus our attention on a company that some people think is taking over the world, Amazon. With us today is Adam Weiler, who is the founder of Sunken Stone, which is a performance-based Amazon management agency. They're an Amazon channel partner with over 10 years experience helping e-commerce companies create sustainable, successful growth using the Amazon platform. And in this episode, Adam is going to talk us through how he became an Amazon expert, how the platform has changed over the time that he's been focused on it, and the types of companies that are finding success on the Amazon marketplace. Here's our interview with Adam Weiler from Sunken Stone. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, Let's start off. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what your company does and uh, what's your role at the company? So the company is called Sunken Stone. And I founded it about 10 years ago. We help companies sell on Amazon. And our tagline is, we help companies sell on Amazon, dot, 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 better. The channel itself and the marketplace has changed a lot over the last 10 years. It really looks nothing like it it once did. And it's pretty difficult and it's pretty hard. And there's a lot of things that go into it. And unless a company has dedicated employees and dedicated resources, it's almost impossible to do it well, especially their first or second tryout. And we're here to help. So I want to talk to you about how the platform has changed over time. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your career path. Where did your career start? And then how did you work your way into being an expert on the Amazon platform? It started by chance. I was working at a home theater store. This was like during the housing boom. People were cashing in their home equity lines and coming in buying $50,000 stereos and TVs and systems around their house. Obviously, that didn't last. So when the housing bust hit, that company went out of business. I would have stayed there forever. It was like playing with gadgets all day, making good money, and I was good at it. So that was the perfect scenario. But obviously, that didn't last. I wanted to go back and get my MBA really for kind of just like an adult timeout. I didn't want to go find another job. I had no idea what I was going to do. The college sequel. Exactly. So we were selling flat panel TVs back in the day. And we were selling cables that went with them. And we would make almost as much on the cable as we would on some of the TVs as far as commissions go. So in between this break where I'd been accepted to the MBA program at San Diego State, 
Go Aztecs. Mm-hmm. I had the summer off and I sent a bunch of emails out to sites like Global Sources and some other random websites. And I got a reply back from some manufacturers, took a credit card cash advance and bought a thousand HDMI cables. And I had them shipped over here. I actually had them shipped to my house in San Diego. And I remember I negotiated with the factory and asked them how much shipping was and they quoted $300. Apparently, that was $300 per box instead of $300 per the entire shipment. And there's 10 boxes. So I'm in the whole $3,000 in addition to the cost of the cables off the bat. So I'm like, oh, shit. By the looks of where you're recording this interview, it looks like a very nice house. So I'm assuming you sold all the cables. (laughs) Yes, eventually. So I listed these cables multiple places on the internet, Overstock, eBay, and Amazon. And Amazon had just rolled out their FBA program, the Fulfillment by Amazon program. What does that mean? So if you sold something on eBay, you had to ship it and pack it and print out the envelope and take it to the post office. And I was doing that every day with like 100 cables in this big bag. That's kind of a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. Amazon had this program where you can send in any number of units, call it 100 units in a box. They would handle, they would break it down, they would store it. And then anytime someone on Amazon went and ordered something, one of their Amazon warehouse employees would go get the product, put it in a box put the Amazon tape on it and ship it out. I didn't have to do anything. So it looks like it's from Amazon. Looks like it's directly from Amazon. No one even knows. To this day, people think it's from Amazon. Right. And the margins were a little thinner. So you make less per sale, but it was so much easier, so much scalable. So I'm playing golf with my dad one day and I had like an old clunky smartphone, pull it out and like I sold 22 cables today and I don't even have to do anything. There's something here. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment. So I sold those thousand cables Bought 2,000, sold those, bought 4,000, sold those, started bringing in containers. You know, some early mistakes on that was I didn't have factory putting labels on things. I didn't have the factory shipping to a warehouse. I was literally sending a container full of cables to my own storage facility or garage in San Diego. So that was kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. So you're getting a pallet of cables and Amazon is just taking them with no labels, no nothing. They're just putting them in a bag and sending them off to your customers, not knowing exactly what they are or any of the specs. So you learned some hard lessons early on. Yeah, it was, I think I sent in a few and they were like, hey, what the hell are these? And back in the day, they would actually label them for free. If you sent in like an error shipment, they would email you and there must have been only a couple hundred or a couple thousand other FBA sellers, unlike the two million there are today. Mm -hmm. So there was more time and there was more attention. They were like, by the way, these products don't have labels. Like, what are these? And then I would like, oh, here's the UPC or here's the code. And someone would go label it. Okay. So eventually you worked out some of the kinks. You're now in the cord business. Mm-hmm. What stopped you from just selling your own products as opposed to working with other people and going the agency model? A couple of different things happened. So number one, more sellers in the marketplace were kind of selling a commodity product. And I see the prices just start to erode kind of week over week. So there's competition in there. But then also at the end of the year, I'm selling these cables. I have no cash. I have a ton of inventory and I have this huge tax bill. And the accountant's like, yeah, welcome to the physical product business. And I was like, this isn't fun. There's got to be a better way to do this. So you're running a successful business in the sense of creating a lot of revenue, but you have a ton of overhead in terms of physical space and then obviously the tax implications. Well, imagine you've got a graph and then your growth rate exceeds your profit margin. 
So then you can never take cash out. You're always cash negative because you're always ordering more, but you never have enough margin to cover that growth. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned in my San Diego State MBA program that I'm still paying some student loans off on. <laughs> so you did end up going back and getting the MBA. <laughs> yeah, it was really awesome. It was like case studies on my business. It was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of years of experience of doing sales and in the business world. So it was more applicable. Yeah, the MBA program was awesome. I graduated with a 2.3 for my undergrad and I graduated with like a 3.8 in the MBA program. So you found the area that you wanted to focus on. You're running a successful business in terms of the growth. All of a sudden, you're getting great grades and you pop out of the MBA program and you go right into the agency world or how did you make the transition? Let me take a step back. So I am selling all these cables and we're actually putting these cables in envelopes before I'm sending them into FBA or before I'm sending them for an eBay order or an overstock order. So I'm like, hey, I did this with cables. Let me find some envelopes. So I start sourcing these envelopes and selling them the same way. And it was the same process. And then after that, some friends started coming to me like, hey, you're doing this. Can you do this for us? Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any models worked out. I was like 28 at the time. So did that a couple of times. Some failed, some succeeded. Didn't really know what kind of the secret sauce was or what I was looking for in certain products. And then the biggest opportunity I got, I emailed someone on LinkedIn looking for the product. So I had this kind of dog treat and my dog growled at me when I tried to take it from them. And I was like, oh, this is the only time she's ever growled at me in my entire life. There's something here. You found the crack for dogs. <laughs> Literally. You realize that there's a need for this product. It's hard to find. Mm-hmm. And there's opportunity. So I cold emailed this company looking to just bulk buy their product. And they responded back immediately like, hey, we're not going to sell this to you, but we want you to run our Amazon stuff. Okay. That sounds fortuitous. (laughs) Yeah. And I had no idea what I was doing. I don't think I had ever done a contract to that point. I don't think I had ever looked at numbers that big before, but it was the same process just kind of over and over, optimize content, run marketing, order promotions. But the process was the same and kind of took them on this trajectory. And after that, they were like, thank you very much for your time. Here's a nice check and have a nice day. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, 
Your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So talk to me a little bit about that process. You mentioned there's an operational component, a content component, marketing. Walk us through just sort of the foundation of setting up an Amazon store. What are the basics? Yeah. So for basics, there's a ton of great podcasts and resources and videos that are out there. The Amazing Seller is the place to start. When people email me, like, teach me Amazon, I'm like, well, here, start with the basics here. And he breaks it down. Like, this would be the link I would send my mom if she wants to ask me how to sell on Amazon. I feel like I have to go find the amazing seller now and ask him to be on the podcast, ask him (laughs) how he grew such a great podcast. Totally. So you put your credit card information in, it's like $40 a month for a professional selling plan. And then you create a listing and you can either hop on an existing listing. Let's say your cousin works at like an olive oil company and it's already on Amazon, but you can source it for a low price. You could sell your product on Amazon right there, or you can sell that product on Amazon and you can sell for a penny less and Congratulations, you make all the sales. Mm -hmm. That's one way. Or you can create your own product, whether that's finding something that's already made and just putting your brand on it. That's called private labeling. Mm -hmm. Or create your own product and patent it or do a Kickstarter and then bring it to Amazon. So just to recap what you're saying, essentially, there's three ways that you think people can get started on Amazon. One is looking at products that are already there that they have access to and just copying a listing and trying to price it lower. The second is to create something that's proprietary and just publish and create a new listing. And what was the third one? I think everything else would fall underneath one of those two main headings. So you're either hopping on an existing listing or some variation of that, or you're creating a new listing. Okay. So once you have your listing and you obviously have access to the product, what happens then? Then you want to sell it. So obviously, it's about content and it's about promotions. What makes good content? Images. People are visual buyers. So there's nine or 10 different spots for content on that page, whether it's front or back end. You want a great title that's keyword optimized. You want great images that are compliant, which means they're not going to get flagged. You know, Amazon doesn't want to be eBay. Amazon wants like a nice, consistent front for their storefront. So you're supposed to have a white background for all your main images. Mm-hmm. You see people with badges or number one bestseller, but they're kind of weeding through that with AI and machine learning, and eventually that'll go away. But so I want it nice and clean. You want great bullet points. You know, most people just look at the title, the pictures, and the bullet points. Mm -hmm. But then there's description, there's A plus or enhanced brand content, and there's reviews down below, and then there's kind of stuff on the back end as well. So you mentioned content and SEO optimization essentially, or having the right keywords. How do you know which are the right keywords when you're creating a listing for Amazon? That's like the million dollar question, right? Because there's keywords that people think are important and there's keywords that people actually buying through or searching and then buying. So a lot of testing, you know, when we're building listings, we're using multiple tools to do that. Tools like Helium 10 for keyword research. We use Merchant Words. We use Jungle Scout, a whole bunch of other extensions. And there's some really good resources for keyword research. And we're trying to optimize, like when you look at a title, you want it to read natural, but you also want it to be keyword heavy. Right. And there's a good balance between those. 
So I have some experience. I worked at eBay for seven years and I was in the marketing team, but I've also been an eBay seller before. I've never sold anything on Amazon because most of the time when I'm selling something, it's a one-off and used item, Mm -hmm. used electronics. But it sounds like the principles of how you're selling on Amazon are kind of what you're describing as table stakes. You need good, clean imagery that makes the product look attractive. You need to use the right words that people are searching for within the company's search engine to make sure that it shows up. And you need it to be priced competitively. And then there has to be a reputation. You have to have some good reviews and fair terms in terms of your return policy and all the other sort of logistics of how they're going to get the product. It sounds like selling on Amazon isn't anything that's drastically different from selling on other online platforms. Agree 100%. Now, the difference is six years ago, you didn't need anything besides a listing. And you could just throw it up there. And that's what I do with HDMI cables. Nice copy, good images. And they started selling because there's enough traffic. Mm -hmm. And now we're in this place where I believe the last count is over 2 million third-party sellers on Amazon. And while the number of buyers has increased, so has the amount of competition. So if you're selling a commodity product, it's about advertising. It's who's got the biggest budget, who can promote the best, who's got some strategies to harness off Amazon traffic as well. Okay. So the platform has gotten more complicated and more competitive over time. It's not the same universe where you were able to just take a generic HTMI cord and you were one of the top sellers. Obviously, the company has scaled even beyond just the e-commerce portion, but we're going to focus on that for right now. So tell me a little bit about how the platform has changed in more detail since you've been working on it. So we do this exercise every six months at our team offsite, and we call it Bubbles. And if you take a look at our website now, you'll see like a very early, I think it's probably 12 or 18 months ago, what the Bubbles image looks like. And it's called Sunken Stone, what we do. And there's maybe 10 bubbles on there. And every six months, Amazon rolls out so many new programs and they kind of just throw it at a wall. Like, hey, you log into your Seller Central account, which is where you go to sell, and you'll see a new tab. And it's like promotions and coupons and lightning deals and subscribing. So they literally just add a ton of new features that no one really knows how to use. So we'll have to get up to speed super quick and becoming experts at it. And it's awesome in the fact that they're adding so many more levers, but it is a little frustrating to a newbie seller. So it sounds like when you started working on the Amazon platform, it was really an even playing field, right? It was about who was able to optimize their keywords, who had good pricing, and what products looked the most attractive. And I get the sense that now it's shifting to less of an even playing field where new sellers can get their products in front of people as easily. Is that true? Is it an even playing field? And if not, why? Great question. So if you've got a unique product and you've got something special, you can still make some great headway. However, if you're trying to compete with the one millionth LED light bulb, you're going to need something that differentiates you. And whether that's software on the back end, different keyword tools, different promotions tools, programmatic ad buying tools. So across our software stack, as far as plugins, we're spending roughly $2,500 to $3,000 a month on these tools that we're using, listing monitoring, inventory management, customer service, things that make us efficient, especially as we grow our SKU count. So talk me a little bit through that before you go on. There's plugins that you're using that are helping you make different parts of your business more efficient. 
Tell me sort of how that stack is put together. And are those things that you plug into your Amazon seller listing? Is, are they Amazon plugins or are they third-party software that you use independently of the platform? Yeah, all third-party software. And Amazon actually just created a marketplace for these plugins. They realized, hey, we've got 2 million sellers. We can make our own app store, give a little more security because you're giving access to your Amazon account to these plugins. So I've actually been hesitant to try some of the new cutting edge ones until they get vetted by the community. But Amazon just created this app store, this kind of walled garden, and they're going to start to let people develop inside that. Mm-hmm. Inventory management, keyword research, listing monitoring, customer service, buyer messaging, all these contribute to that software stack. Interesting. Okay. So there's an overhead investment for you to be able to optimize the various listings that you manage. Tell me about some of the companies that you work with. And are you specialized selling electronics, cables? What's the area that you focus? Or is it pretty much anything within the Amazon universe? We have a lot in health and personal care, like supplement space. But we really run the gamut from handmade hammocks from Mexico, dog products, pet products, and personal supplements. So it's really a wide variety because what happens once you learn the system and once you know how to sell one thing on Amazon, it really is a replicatable process. Like What we say internally is we've got 500 SOPs for every brand we onboard, and then we've got 500 SOPs for every product within that brand. What's an SOP? Standard operating procedure. So that's someone on our team creates a screen video or a screen share of them doing the process. And then they're kind of narrating over it. And then we send that to another person on the team to chop up into like a Google Doc. Got it. And that's really enabled us to just really systematize everything. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about the scale for some of the customers that you're working with. When somebody is working on an Amazon store, I'm sure it varies much by the product, but What is the general ROI that you see on a product and what's the volume? Well, if I could get that 100% accurate, I would go be a bookie in Las Vegas or a (laughs) professional gambler. How about the range? Yeah, we get asked like, how much could you sell for me on Amazon? So what we say as a rule of thumb, whatever you're doing off Amazon, Amazon should add anywhere from 20 to 40% incrementally if it's managed correctly. So if a brand's doing a million dollars off Amazon, through their own e-commerce stores or through retail. When we pull all the levers and do what we do, we should be able to get at least 200 to 400,000 incremental. In fact, what we often see, because we're managing it correctly, we often see their other channels increase in sales too. So if they're doing really well on Shopify because of their AdWords or because they've got a great Instagram presence or that they know Facebook or they know YouTube advertising, once we get Amazon dialed in, their Shopify goes up as well. So it's kind of a win-win scenario. Okay. I think that's a great place for us to stop today. Uh, Thanks for joining this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Adam for being our guest. And in part two of our interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Adam is going to walk us through some of the best practices and strategies that he implements for his clients to maximize their ROI using the Amazon Marketplace. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Adam and Sunken Stone, go to sunkenstone.com. And if you'd like to read the transcript of this podcast, we published it on our website, which is martechpod.com, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, I just want to stop and say thank you very much. 
We want you to feel like you're a member of our community. So if you ever have any questions, comments, if you'd like to reach our guest, feel free to reach out to me directly at podcast at benjshap.com or on Twitter. Our handle is LLC. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. We'd love for you to leave us a review in the Apple iTunes store. And if you haven't subscribed yet already and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of this interview with Adam Weiler, we've got some great episodes lined up for you in the next week. So if you're interested in learning about topics like paid social advertising, growth hacking, B2B marketing, hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.